Father God, we thank you so much uh, that you have revealed uh, what is going to happen in these last days to us. Not that, we, not that we may be alarmed, and particularly that we would not be led astray, but that we might trust you, not be fearful, but rather full of faith. And so with that in mind, Lord Jesus, please teach us through your word to trust you, and to be people of faith. Uh, give me clarity as I speak. May the Lord Jesus be on it. We pray this now in his name. Amen. Well, we're going to have a little Bible study this morning. So I've got my coffee, my Bible, and my notes. And we are going to have a look, as we are doing uh, over these six weeks, uh, looking through two chapters in the book of Matthew, chapters 24 and 25, that are discussing the end times. That is, what's going to happen in the future? And this is a topic that is of much debate and interest at the moment in our culture and time. People are wondering, what do these things mean that are happening at the moment? And interestingly enough, people ask these same sorts of questions in Jesus' day. Jesus' disciples in uh, verse 3 of chapter 24 ask this to Jesus, Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And you may notice we have this fascination with apocalyptic Movies and books, TV shows at the moment. What is going to happen? How will it all end? So this isn't just a religious question. It's a secular question too. And it's a question that we actually need answers to. But one of the issues that comes along when we are concerned about the way the world is going is we have this thing that welds up within us called fear. And fear can be a lot like weeds in the garden. The problem with weeds in the garden is they can be sown into the ground and you not even know that they're there. They can grow up quite quickly under the right conditions and because it's spring, you'll probably start seeing them around your garden at the moment. They grow through ordinary means, you know, with sunlight, with water, with some nutrients in the soil. They actually don't need much nutrients in the soil as it turns out to grow, and then they mature, they flower, and their seeds spread, and they multiply, and the weeds tend to then, if they're given full rain in your garden, to choke out the other plants. And fear acts very much like weeds in our lives. Jesus actually spent a bit of time teaching about weeds, uh, Matthew 13, he spoke about weeds choking out the word that is the work of God in our lives and making it, listen to this, unfruitful. And I think the same issue is true for the end times as well. Fear of the end times or fear that arises from concerning events, likewise, can choke out the work of God in our lives, leaving us unfruitful or not doing what we're supposed to be doing. Just like an apple tree is supposed to produce apples, but if it's surrounded with weeds, it can't get its proper sunlight, it can't get its proper nutrients from the soil, it can't soak up enough water, it will not produce the crop. And the same can be true for our lives as well. When our lives are choked out by fear, we will not be fruitful for God. 
So in order to handle uh, this from the text for us during our Bible study this morning, uh, I would like to help you. Number one, identify our fears. Number two, find the root of our fears. Number three, transform our fears. And four, be freed from fear. So number one, identify our fears. Now, of course, in a garden, and I used to uh, work as a horticulturalist, so it's very important that you know which ones are the weeds and which ones aren't when you go and work for someone. Otherwise, they will get very angry with you if you just pull out everything. Okay? So it's important to be able to identify what are the weeds. And for us, we need to be able to identify what are our fears. Now, the fascinating thing in the text is that they had much to be fearful of. And the reason is, we see this from verse 15, uh, spoken of, it says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Now, very interesting, because what was foretold there by Daniel actually has happened more than once in the history of Israel and God's people. So this was uh, Prophet Daniel well before Jesus' time, several hundred years before during the Babylonian captivity. uh, There was a guy called Daniel who foretold a number of events that were going to happen. One of those events was that a foreign king would come or foreign army would come and desecrate God's temple. And this actually happened in 168 BC. So roughly about 200 years before Jesus spoke these words, there was an abomination of desolation or abomination that causes desolation in Jerusalem. A foreign Greek king, the, the Greeks had the superpower of the time around uh, 168 BC and their king Antiochus IV Epiphanes, remember that, Antiochus IV Epiphanes, uh, came in and totally levelled Jerusalem. In fact, they desecrated the temple. Listen to this. This is from a record at the time, Maccabees 5.14, an ancient document. This is what it says happened in that day. It said, When these happenings reported to the king, he thought that Judea was in revolt. Raging like a wild animal, he sent out from Egypt and took Jerusalem by storm. He ordered his soldiers to cut down without mercy those whom they met and to slay those who took refuge in their houses. There was a massacre of young and old, a killing of women and children, a slaughter of virgins and infants. In the space of three days, 80,000 were lost, 40,000 meeting a violent death, and the same number been sold into slavery. So Jerusalem and the temple met their abomination of desolation in 168 BC. On top of that, a statue of Zeus was set up, which was the Greek god, was set up in the middle of the temple saying, on top of where the burnt offering was supposed, supposed to be, saying, this is the true God. Of course it wasn't. They slaughtered pigs in the temple, of course, that were an unclean animal, sought to desecrate the place. And actually, practising your Jewish faith at that time was made to be a capital offence. So you can imagine God's people had been devastated by this before. And it was within, you know, 200 years. So they would have been remembering this event, the disciples, when Jesus was speaking to them about it. You know, the temple uh, was desecrated. You know, the, the people's religion was tarnished. God's own name was, made, was spoken in vain and acted in vain amongst the other nations. 
So by the time we get to about 32, 33 AD, when Jesus is uh, speaking these words, they've got that in their memory. And then about 70 AD, so about 40 years or so after this, Jerusalem, the city again was uh, conquered by another foreign nation, the Romans. And at this time, uh, they again levelled the place, destroyed the temple. This is a um, a commentary by Charles Spurgeon uh, based on Josephus, who was one of the historians of the time. It says, We read of Jews crucified until there was no more wood for making crosses, of thousands of people slaying one another in their fierce faction fights within the city, of so many of them being sold for slaves that they became a drug in the market, all but valueless, and of the fearful carnage when the Romans at length entered the doomed capital and the blood-curdling story exactly bears out the Saviour's statement uttered nearly 40 years before the terrible events occurred. So what's spoken of here, this abomination of desolation, this destruction of Jerusalem, has now happened twice in Israel's history since it was foretold by Daniel and now repeated here by Jesus. And as the Bible goes on to say that more things will happen in Israel's history and more things will happen to God's people as history unfolds. There will be a continual time of trouble. A continual time of trouble. In fact, the text goes on to tell us, verse 21, for then there will be a great tribulation which has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and will never be. If those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So there is a sense in which this did happen in 70 AD, but there is also this potential sense in which this will happen again. And in fact, as we mentioned last week, there seems to be, over the history of humanity, these birth pains, as Jesus mentioned earlier, to describe the way things get worse over history and seem like the end is coming, and then it backs off and doesn't seem so bad. And of course, we've seen that in our own 20th century, haven't we? With two world wars... You know, the the rise of atomic weapons and biological and chemical weapons. You know, the ability to destroy the world, we've said. And of course, even in our own time and generation, we have things like a a global pandemic that we haven't had for 100 years and it seems to have crippled much of the world and we've felt the effects of that ourselves. And so there seems to be this ongoing sense of birth pains that continue during our times. Our text goes on to see that after the fall of Jerusalem, there will be this constant need for people to find saviours. We see this in verse 23. Then if anyone says to you, look, there is the Christ, there he is, do not believe it. Do not believe it. There will be many people claiming to be the saviour, many people claiming, even performing great signs and wonders who will try and steal away your faith and take it in a totally different direction. And this really became clear for me. It was interesting. I was at, the, um, I was at a bookshop uh, recently. It was actually a, a sort of department store with a bookshop in the middle. And I was sort of having a look as I do. And the book, the, the, you know, they said print was going out of fashion, and yet there's more books there than ever, as far as I can tell. But there was this section I've noticed, because I always look in the kind of religious, spiritual section to see, firstly, if there's any Bibles, and generally there isn't. Um, but this 
section is growing substantially more and more so the area of New Age spirituality. In fact, it had almost a whole like shelf like this big devoted to New Age spirituality. And I thought, this is new. And it's fascinating that people are searching out new ways to find out what is going on in the world. They're looking for a sort sense of spiritual power and assurance even to deal with the fears and the concerns of their lives that are not actually through science, not through other uh, forms of secular knowledge, no, but through other spiritual power. You know, from uh, being a DIY witch and casting your own spells to tarot cards and anything you can basically think of was there in a fairly standard department store in their book section. And the reason they're there is because there is such a demand for them. Uh, Professor Linda Woodhead, who's a religious uh, scholar, uh, says this about uh, what is going on at the moment. She says, at the heart of it, all religion is about people wanting a deeper connection with some greater power or powers. And it was talking about that actually we thought, uh, particularly in the 20th century, there would be a decline in spirituality and religion. But actually the opposite has happened. Spirituality has increased whilst in many Western countries uh, Christianity has been on the decrease, it seems. People's investigation of other faiths and other ways and other beliefs and other spiritual powers has increased. Interestingly so, Jesus said this was going to happen in times of trouble. In fact, we see this in verse 25. He says, see, I've told you beforehand. Now, this is a great danger because on the one hand, we're supposed to be well prepared for the end, but we're not supposed to go out at everyone that says, I'm the saviour, I can fix things. We're not supposed to follow other spiritual powers. We're supposed to trust that when it happens, we will know. When Jesus returns, we will know it. Verse 27, For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. That is, we'll all see it. We'll all know. You won't miss out if you're a Christian believer. If you have faith in Jesus, you will not miss out. But do not be distracted by fear of an uncertain future because that will lead you down the path into other spiritual powers. And it is very common, unfortunately, for people who have religious faith to dabble in these things. And it is dabbling with things that will actually lead you away from God that you may yourself be led astray. So... We need to identify these fears, the the base of our heart, which are often leading us to look in other directions for help, for spiritual power. But underneath the top of this weed that we're identifying, there is a root. And of course the problem is, unless you pull the root out of the weed, it will just grow back again. These weeds tend to choke out true and fruitful faith Unless we remove the roots, we will not deal with the inherent issue. And I think the issue in our fears is actually something that Jesus is addressing in this text. And this is a lack of assurance. That is, Jesus is saying, I'm telling you this beforehand. I'm telling you this so you don't get led astray. 
I'm telling you this so you don't go chasing after other saviours and trying to find other ways of coping with this world rather than trusting in me. But the interesting thing, interesting thing is when we do get fearful and anxious and afraid, we're always then looking, you know, is this it? Is this the end? And sometimes we begin calculating, you know, trying to work out the exact moment of the end when for actually almost 2,000 years we haven't had it yet. And Jesus is saying he doesn't really want us calculating or being fearful or constantly looking out for saviours to fix our internal issues. He wants us to trust him and to have great assurance of him. It's a bit like uh, if you're watching a football match and you already know the outcome of the game. So, you know, you can watch, you can watch, the, uh, you can watch the match on TV, but if you already know the ending, really the tension is gone. Or for some of you, you like to uh, Google what the ending is of the particular movie or TV show is before you finish it, which, which I find really annoying because I love the tension. I love, you know, being in that space of like what, uh, anticipation, what's going to happen. But as soon as you know the outcome, you know, you breathe out. It's okay. And actually that should be the case for Christians. That's what Jesus is saying here. We know the outcome. Jesus said, I've told you these things beforehand. Jerusalem's going to fall. It's a sign that the end is coming. There's a bigger gap than perhaps they thought, the disciples thought then, but it is assured. It is coming. The end will happen. And yet, because we know the outcome, because we know that Jesus is going to come on the clouds and gather all his people, we should be okay. Yet why doesn't that intellectual knowledge go right down into our hearts so that we really believe it? You see, the issue underneath, you know, as we get down to right into the root system of this plant, is not just that we know these things, but we really start struggling to believe them. It's actually a state of unbelief in our hearts. Now, the Bible is particularly the New Testament, is full of people who know their Bibles well and yet doesn't actually change the way that they live. You know, the New Testament is full of people who have all the appearances of religion and spirituality and they say these things, but actually when it comes down to it, in their hearts they're really quite fearful of what is to come. That's why in a few days from when Jesus speaks these words, he'll be crucified by fearful people. Fearful of him, fearful of what's happening rather than trusting and worshipping him, which is what they should be doing. And so let me put it this way. If you really trust it, that Jesus has it all wrapped up, that he's told us what's going to happen beforehand, that he's going to come and gather all his people, then you should really not be worried at all, no matter what happens, because there have been far more difficult times in history than we're experiencing in Australia right now. There are far more difficult places to live around the world where they should be far more fearful. And yet if we are caught up by fear here, there must be something wrong internally with our faith. Let me put it this way. Uh, You know when you go to fill up your car at the petrol station and you, you put the nozzle into the tank and you fill it up and it clicks, makes that click sound and it's full. You can't get 
anymore in there. That is a bit like the way God wants us to uh, fill up with faith so that unbelief can't get in. Because you can't put any more in once it clicks, right? It's supposed to be the same with us and our faith in God. There's no room for unbelief if we're filled with faith and trust in him, no matter what happens. I mean, gee, Jesus is speaking to people who knew, right, from Antiochus Epiphanes IV, what could happen. It was terrible. And they were about to experience it in 70 AD. And many of those people would have been there in Jerusalem when it happened. Jesus is giving specific instruction to them about that event. And he's saying, even when things happen that are really bad, so bad that if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved, you can still be full of faith and without fear if you trust in God, if your trust is totally in him. And of course, there's not just us dealing with our own belief, as we've already mentioned. Jesus says there will be false Christs and false prophets who will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. There will be outside agencies trying to pull you in, trying to get you to believe in their ways of thinking, to be captured by fear or other belief systems and even have some sort of spiritual power to them, signs and wonders to them. Will you be taken in by them? Well, you won't if your spiritual tank of faith is full. Put it another way. You know when uh, you go to a party and maybe it's an expensive, uh, wealthy party where there's a, there's a door list and once the party's full, no one else can gain entry. And so if, just to use the analogy, if your heart is full with God, then no one else can gain entry entry. But if there's room in there, if you're not filled with faith, then fear can easily creep into our lives. And so the question is, how do we fill ourselves with faith? That's when we get to a third point, which is transforming our fears. Now, the fascinating thing about this text today is that it's actually mentioned a few times in the Bible. And in fact, Jesus would go through his own great tribulation, not just to have his people experience one in the fall of Jerusalem and with the tribulations to come, but also Jesus would go through his own tribulation. And we see this, uh, I guess, hinted at when Jesus says in verse 30, speaking of the end, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Every, for the believers, everyone will see it when it happens. And then in Matthew 26, verse 64, when Jesus is before Caiaphas and the council, he's been falsely accused. This is just before his crucifixion. What do we see? Jesus says to them in response to their question. The priest says to Jesus, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Verse 64, Jesus says to him, You have said so, but I tell you from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So not only did Jesus say this would happen at the end, but Jesus is saying this will happen almost immediately. 
Jesus will enter into his own tribulation and great experience of glory through a Roman cross. And this is how Jesus handles our fears of the end. The reason why we can intellectually believe, you know, that God will work everything out in the end, but not believe it in our hearts, is because we don't actually take what Jesus has done right into the centre of who we are. We don't realise that actually Jesus endured something far worse than anything that could ever happen over history upon himself so that we would ultimately be a saved people. Many Christians are very fearful of what is to come. and they, you know, I don't know if anyone's seen those um, uh, preppers. Has anyone seen preppers before? You know, like doomsday preppers? You basically, uh, and there's, a, there's often a few TV shows about it, I've watched a couple, and uh, people will go off and make a bunker out, you know, far away and sort of build up supplies so that they're ready for the end times. And often these are religious people. But one of the problems is Jesus never says to do that. In fact, the things that Jesus is teaching us is to not be fearful, but to keep going. You know, it's interesting that the book of Matthew does not end with chapters 24 and 25, speaking of the end times. It ends with chapter 28, when Jesus says, go and tell all the world about who I am and what I've done. It is not a book that should instill fear in us. It's a book that should instill faith in us. But it is only if we really take to heart that Jesus has taken a much worse tribulation upon himself that we might be set free to then live for him without fear. That's the truth of it. You might say to me, well, what about, you know, what about my financial troubles? What about my relationship troubles? What about my concern for things right now that are going on in my life? Let me tell you that if you really take into your heart that Jesus has done everything necessary that you might enter into his forever kingdom, that he in fact went through his own great tribulation and took the sins of the world upon himself and was killed for it on a Roman cross, and that Jesus himself bodily rose from the dead, if that is true in your life, then even your current difficulties will fade in comparison to the greatness of Jesus. And you will have the strength to endure because you know what's coming next. Jesus has told you beforehand that you may not fear, that you may not be alarmed, as he said earlier uh, in chapter 24. And in fact, to the depth that we capture and take to heart what Jesus has done for us will be to the ability we will be able to walk in fearful and troubled times without fear. Fascinating issue. Uh, This um, lady professor of uh, religion, Linda Woodhead, uh, made some more remarks in an article. She said this, She said, religions don't deliver that where people feel like they are not getting that kind of spiritual sustenance. They are the religions that fall away and die. I think this is what has happened to the traditional churches. Linda Linda, uh, Woodhead, Professor Woodhead is saying that 
our current uh, era where the Christian church in many Western countries is in decline and people are searching for spiritual power in many other places is because people are looking at the church and looking at Christianity and going, there's no power here. It doesn't actually change our lives. Now, there's a few things wrong with that. Firstly, I don't think uh, Professor Woodhead actually understands Christianity because you would realise that the power of God is centralised on the work of Jesus and, be- and believing in that. And so when we truly capture that, it does change us. It does transform our fears. So on the one hand, I think she's wrong. But the other issue with that, I think, is for religious people to look at themselves and go, do we really believe it? Because the church is supposed to be this city on a hill where people aren't afraid. Though the world may give way and every trouble come, we will be filled with light and assurance that our God is with us and he has the end overcome. God's people are to be salt and light to the world, different, making things better. For troubled people, we should be able to, you should be able to go to your, if you're a Christian person, to your co-workers, family members, when they are afraid and go, don't worry, let me pray with you because I know a God who answers prayer even when we're afraid. You should be able to do that and have the confidence to do it knowing that God may even answer that prayer at that particular time for that person. But that confidence arises from people who really believe and trust in this. One of the reasons people find it so easy to ignore Christianity is because they only identify a set of rules and traditions rather than the power of God. And one of the things that I think Professor Woodhead gets right is that the world sees Christianity as powerless often because Christians are not living the way that they should be because they're not trusting in God from the centre of their hearts. And so this brings us back to our metaphor of the weeds. You cannot just know that the weeds are there. You cannot just know that the roots must be taken out. You've got to pull it out. You've got to pull the plant out. When I was, uh, just before we sort of planted City Reach Marion, it would have been the end of 2017, I had a really strange dream. In fact, I had two dreams back to back. I'll tell you the first part. And this doesn't happen to me normally. I don't remember what I dream about. And it was odd because I, sort of, I was sort of dozing and I had a dream and then I woke up and then I went to bed and had another dream straight after that. But let me explain the first dream. The first dream was I was looking at a garden uh, and being uh, from a horticultural background, you know, being a landscape, I was fairly familiar with gardens. And the garden was just covered in weeds. They were everywhere, absolutely everywhere. And I thought to myself, I was actually devastated. I said, what can we do with this garden? In my heart, I just felt this is a terrible situation. There's weeds everywhere. What what can you grow in a place that's just covered in weeds? And I just felt, well, of course, you've just got to start pulling them out. You've got to roll your sleeves up and start pulling out the weeds. And this is a metaphor that made a lot of sense to me because I was used to pulling out weeds in gardens as part of my job. But actually, what I was thinking about was not gardens and physical weeds. It was about God's church and his people. 
One of the problems, I believe, in the Christian church and in our hearts is that we know these things intellectually to be true. Perhaps even we know that we're fearful when we shouldn't be. We know we're overly concerned with the ways of the world where we should be trusting in God. We know that there's probably a root that's down deep, but we don't want to let God touch that, and so we're not actually pulling out the weeds. And I knew that there's a work that God needs to do in his people, and it's actually a work of repentance for our unbelief and fearful ways amidst a world that is experiencing troubled times. Because Jesus has told us beforehand. Because Jesus has told us not to be alarmed. Because Jesus has said, don't be led astray, because many will come. Jesus has said, when people say the Christ is over here or he's over here, don't believe it. Because when I come, everyone will know. When I come, it'll be like lightning. You'll see it in the sky. When I come, there will be as if a banner in the sky. The Son of Man is here and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Everyone will know. You will not miss out if you are one of God's people. And so that dream several years ago told me that there is a problem and it's actually in our hearts and it's a problem of unbelief and it's something that we actually need to turn away from. It's an issue that we must pull out the weed so that we might trust in our God more fully, the weeds that are choking out the plants in our garden. And so, my last point, to be freed from fear. You see, repentance must come. Otherwise, you might know the weeds are there, you might know they've got roots, You might even know what Jesus has done. But unless that goes right into your heart, it won't change you. Unless you're willing to go, my way of doing things is not right. I need God in the middle of my life more than I've ever had him before. I need to trust that Jesus has taken much worse for me so that I might have the great glory with him. And our great saviour told us about it and he put it into practice. And everyone saw him on that cross, publicly, before all. And everyone will see him on that last day when he returns in great glory. And if your confidence is in that, fear will not trouble you. You may be freed from it. And so I think, then, based on these things, that if Matthew's gospel does not finish with a fearful state, with verses 24 and uh, with chapters 24 and 25, and us being really concerned, but it finishes with a commission and to get on with it, then we need to take that very seriously. We need to be people who are not so upset by the coronavirus that it cripples us. We need to be people who are not so concerned with the control of the government that it cripples us. We need to be people, God's people, that are not so concerned with the affairs in the state of this world that it chokes out the good work that God wants us to do to be a fruitful people who are declaring the work of Jesus all around the world and living for him. 
And so we must turn and repent. There's a fascinating thing that happens in the book of Daniel. Daniel, of course, uh, the first half of the book is um, talking about what happens uh, during his uh, time in exile in the Babylonian kingdom. The second half of the book is a collection of prophecies of things that will happen in the future, and some of those are here in the text with Jesus. But you get this very interesting thing that happens. Because as Daniel is receiving these visions from God about the future times, about the abomination of desolation, about the the fall of Jerusalem and, and the coming of the king, which he's very excited about, I'm sure, but it also burdens him on the inside because he realizes that if this is going to happen, then he wants to be ready. He's a, Daniel is a spiritual man. In fact, we're going to uh, spend some time next year going through the book of Daniel. But it's very interesting because in his heart, Daniel is so concerned with what's happening, not because perhaps he's fearful, but perhaps he realises that he needs to be a man of faith. Though we see on occasion after occasion throughout the first part of the book that he has stood up and been fearless for what is to come, he must continue to be a man of faith. And so what does he do? Chapter 9 and verse 3 says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession. Because Daniel realised that if he is going to continue to be a man of faith in these days when of, which are full of trouble, which he experienced some himself, then he needed to be one who turned back to God and confessed his sins and the way he had not trusted in God. And I tell you that we need to be a bit like Daniel in our response to the words of Jesus. Because not just perhaps for us personally, but I think the church as a whole, we need to take responsibility that we have not lived as we ought. We have been fearful. So one of the things that just I really think about is what would it be like if I, like speaking of myself, fully gave myself over to God? And let me ask you that same question. What would it be like in your life if you gave yourself fully over to God. We'll tell you the process to get there is called repentance. And in Daniel, we see, we see someone who is willing to confess sin. Someone who pleads for the mercy of God and someone who all he wants at the end of the day after he's gone through that is that to know his God of glory and his presence with him. And that is the God whom we have in Jesus. He wants us to remove these weeds out of our life of fear and unbelief. He wants us to be people who cling to what he's done for us so that we might live free from fear and full of faith. And so we must start then, not just blaming other people, because we're good at that, We must start here with us. We're going, Lord, our God, as in the words perhaps of Daniel, as he starts his confession, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, 
We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers and to the people of our land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness. And it goes on. We need to seek after our good God who has done all these things for us. So as we finish now, I'm just going to lead us in a prayer in a heartfelt way. And I encourage you, just even now, if, if, this, if God has moved you, that you too would be someone of faith in a time of fear. If God has moved you, that perhaps you too have been fearful in your own life, that you would pray these words with me, that God would move and change in us so that we might be this city on a hill, this light into the world, this salt amongst our community. Will you pray with me? Father God, as we have now seen and heard from your word, uh, Lord Jesus, that you will return in great power and we have seen that you are the great and high God who is willing to go through your own great tribulation for us. In light of that, Lord, forgive us our sin of not trusting you. Forgive us, Lord God, for where we have gone astray by going to other spiritual powers, for finding our love and delight in things apart from you. Forgive us, our Lord and our God, for our unbelief that we have let the weeds choke out the good word in our lives. Lord, change us from the inside out that we would be a people filled with your Holy Spirit, transformed so that we can face anything and without fear because we are your people and you are our God. We come to you knowing that you have paid the cost of our sin. We come to you, Lord Jesus, that you are our high priest. We come to you, Lord Jesus, our King, knowing that it is your will to do this in our lives. And Lord God, we pray that your presence by your spirit and your coming glory would be enough that our, hope, our hearts would hope in. And Lord, that we might be uh, sent people, not just coming together to talk about religious things, Lord God, but that we would be a sent people who would freely share the great hope that we have in you. So change us, we pray. Work in us, we pray. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our God. Amen.